I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Uh, all right, we are joined by Alex McKinnon, uh, the host of the new CBC podcast, Sorry About the Kid. Um, Alex, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to all of our listeners, and then uh, and then we'll dive into Sorry About the Kid, which I, I just had the pleasure of listening to the first episode, and I'm still uh, just drying my eyes, uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Get, give yourself a moment to, to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm from Montreal originally. I moved around a bunch in the last 10 years or so, but I've settled back down here recently. Um, I worked in the music industry for a long time, worked in marketing in the States for a long time, and uh, now I am doing mostly screenwriting and podcast hosting. Cool. I, uh, I mean, we can talk about this off air, <laughs> but I know that you have a feature length suspense horror that's going into production oh, soon called Amber. I, I do. I and do. That, uh, I've got a I've got a I've got a boner for anything that's in the thriller, <laughs> the thriller scene. So horror. Yeah, the scarier can, it gets, the harder it gets. That's it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. That's how it works. <laughs> um uh so Alex the the podcast is uh, it's a four part uh mini series um and it's it's uh, available January 19th which uh as of this release uh, could be before or after this has been released, so I I don't know. Um, but uh, it's it's a extraordinarily um, personal story. Um, uh, it's your story um, about the loss of your your brother when you were when you were a child. Um, grief is something that we we talk about quite a lot on the podcast, and um, it's one of those things that you know. At some point, everyone's going to experience grief in some capacity, and we all we all deal with it and manage it in our own unique way. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how how the grief of the loss of your brother affected you personally, um, in particular the the memory portion of it, which which I find kind of fascinating. Yeah, sure. Um... You know, I was I was ten when when my brother died. He was uh, fourteen, um, and it was, you know, it's. A, I said this to somebody else recently that it's just like a very odd age because you're old enough to kind of know who you lost, but still too young to really be able to kind of express those feelings a lot. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, I was just looking for anything else to kind of focus uh, my 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 attention on and. Paul was killed in front of a lot of people. Um, it was in front of his high school, in front of a university. Um, a lot of hundreds of people saw him die. 
and it became a big deal in local news and national news. And, um, you know, we'd have, we had cameras in front of us for a lot of, for a long time and in the court case that dragged on for a long time, uh, was, was covered extensively too. And so for me, it just, I threw myself into this kind of weird where I felt like I was in a TV show. I felt like I was watching my, 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 my trauma play out on the news. And, um, it really kind of affected the way I, I remembered Paul. I started, I started seeing, I started remembering more this kind of idealized version of him, that the, the version was being portrayed in the news and on TV. And I started to forget uh, the little things that you know about your friends or your siblings or whatever, like their, uh, the sound of their voice, their laugh, um, stupid inside jokes, like what, what, a, what a punch to the arm felt like from him, that kind of thing. And, um, and yeah, and it's just kind of, I'd say within about, two years, I'd really only, I'd kind of forgotten everything about him. Um, I, I remember the photos, I remember the pictures, but I didn't remember the bookends of those. I didn't remember what happened before and after that photo. I just remember the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. When, when you, when you said that you recall like sort of watching your trauma play out on the news, do you mean that like literally like you were seeing these sort of news interviews and seeing that were, were you in them or, or is that sort of like a figurative um, expression of the experience? No, no, very literal. I, I was seeing my parents, you know, they were very hell bent on making sure that this wasn't just forgotten that this, that, that his death, um, had meaning, I guess, like it prevented this from happening again, which unfortunately did happen again. Um, but yeah, no, we were, I was seeing my trauma, my reactions to it and, and, and my family's kind of, um, sadness and everything just kind of encapsulated on the news nightly really there's a, <clears throat> there's something um there's something really um like your memory and and by your memory i mean the memory of humans in general like how how fascinating of a function mm-hmm. it is i i remember i remember when um before podcasts before podcasts remember when serial came out Mm-hmm. Sure. I can't remember what year that was, like 2014, 2015, maybe. And it really kind of sparked podcasts as a whole, but, or was a huge like groundswell with podcasts. But I remember the, the opening bit of the opening, like five minutes of serial. Yeah. I know exactly what you're going to say. Talks about, you know, looking back 15 years on, on an experience and a very specific experience. And in, in, in the case of serial on, on a, on, you know, where you were on this very specific day between these certain hours and, and it kind of explored like how how fragile the memory really is when you're trying to remember like specifics. And especially as you go further out in time, like I think about my memory as like being very, you know, as you very clear. And then as you start to move away from it, it starts to become very pixelated and and and, and very um, and, and very, very broad, like you said, like you remember photos and everything, but you know, the experiences, the feeling of the punching of the arm, right. it's just like, it, it's just like a fascinating function of the memory that we're just not able to, we're just not able to like store that data for a, maybe a bit of a crass way of putting it in our minds over a certain period uh, of time. And in, and in, and in your case, memories that are are so important 
mm-hmm. to you and important to, you know, like remembering a relationship that you had with somebody who was, you know, probably closer to you than, mm-hmm. than, than, than anybody else. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, assu- I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the strange thing too. It's like, as, as the years went on, um, I found that other people were able, were, were much more able to retain those, those memories of him and their experiences with him. And, and I just kind of felt like left out in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Did, did you feel, I know, um, an, an interesting, uh, concept in exploring like trauma and, and grief. Uh, I know that sometimes in my sessions with my therapist, when I'm trying to like go back and like understand and dissect these moments um, from either my past or my childhood. Uh, it's hard for me to remember the exact experience, but I can sort of recall, you know, the way that something made me feel maybe. And even though I can't like picture exactly what was happening, I can sort of use that feeling to dive in and explore some of that. Have you had any opportunity to do anything like that? Or, or is that even something that is, possible for you uh i mean like with you know without giving away the, the ending of the, the podcast um there's it's a i go i i you know there's a therapist that um that witnessed the the accident she was um uh, at the red light and she saw paul hit right in front of her and she describes this moment of like her memory of it is not she remembers like his books and his papers flying through the air he was hit um, and he was sent 100 feet in the air. He was he he was hit really fast. Like the car was going really really fast. And her memory is the sound and this image of these books flying through the air. Mm-hmm. And I ran into her um, right as I was starting this this podcast. Actually, it was a script at this point, um, but I was doing research for it. And I ran into her at an exhibit. And I had never spoken to her really. She'd been a, a witness at the court case, and but I never really spoken to her. And um, she, I sat down for an interview eventually with her and that turned into several sessions. And then she ended up, she's a grief counselor and she ended up becoming my grief counselor. Wow. And, um, it's my long winded way of getting to your, your question. Uh, she, she basically had me di- like really dissect the memories, the two memories that I do retain. Um, and there's a moment where, um, just by, by going over these, the minutiae, the minute details that I might kind of pass over when I'm thinking about these memories, but she made me like focus on the time of day it was and what, if there was sun outside and just like the, like to kind of like look at that memory from a a different point of view or through a different lens. And that led to me remembering another very, very specific memory that kind of like blew my mind that I, it was the first memory I'd been able to kind of recapture in, in 30 years. And it was really, mind-blowing um so i know what you're saying like i can definitely like i i there's a sense of what it was like for me to interact with him growing up um and i and i still retain those feelings but mm-hmm. but no i never i never was able to kind of put myself or situate myself in that in that in that place until very recently did did you ever um like have you ever come to a realization as to how or why these memories were lost like do, do you do you equate it to the 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 uniqueness of the trauma in terms of of the the case being so so widely covered and 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 you know like cameras and 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 shit showing up at your doorstep and you know this like this long ongoing court case that surrounded the entire accident like do you think that's do you think that element of the trauma was one of the things 
Like, is that the thing or, or, or have you been able to kind of pinpoint another reason for why it was so hard for you to, to maintain and, and recollect back on these memories of your brother? Short answer is no, I don't know the exact answer. Um, I think that it was, um, I've always like prior to this, I'd always just chalked it up to, well, it's like, it's PTSD. It's, it's a trauma. And like, that's, that's just kind of the fallout of it. Mm -hmm. Um, in going through this process, I've definitely started to explore potential reasons for, for it beyond just the fact that it was a trauma. But, um, like, as I say, the age and and the fact that it was so public and, and, and that, I mean, I, my, my parents, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very close to my parents, but they were, uh, they were forced to kind of, um, become these people that they weren't before in, in so far as trying to fight for changes to the law. And so they were very focused on, um, public outreach on, uh, the court cases on, on, on all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I, I kind of had to not deal with it on my own. I don't want to say that they have abandoned me or anything like that, but I just, it was just, everyone was kind of focused on different things. And, and I was focused on, you know, getting through the day kind of thing. And, Alex, I'm I'm really curious how so um, when my dad was in his late twenties, um, his brother was in a motorcycle accident and uh, lost his life. And oh, no way. I'm sorry. And uh, I haven't really had the I've never really talked to my dad about like how he feels that impacted his life. And I'm curious, you know, selfishly probably to gain some insight in what knowing that my dad's experience is, is unique anyway, but, but like, how do you feel like this experience changed the trajectory of your life? Or do you feel like it's just sort of been this, you know, experience that it just is how, like, what type of story do you like when you think about the experience, how do you feel like it has impacted that trajectory of your life? Like the experience of, of losing Paul. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's very, very, very few aspects of my life that are not impacted by it or have not been impacted by it. Um, a couple of years after he died, I went to school at the same high school he went to, and there's photos of him in the hallways. There's, you know, his hockey photo or football photos or whatever there, there's an award named after him. Uh, there's his teachers, uh, there's his friends that were graduating that year. I took a bus home every day, sitting at the bus stop right in front of where he was killed. I looked at this, this intersection where oh. he was killed. Um, I wore his football jersey when I played football. I mean, and then as I got older, you know, seeing his friends uh, out in public, um, there would be this, you know, this kind of like, it's kind of a recognition right away when they'd see me. It's like not like not a sadness, but kind of like a, oh, we got to take care of this guy kind of thing. He's I'm going to be his pseudo older brother for the night of, of drinking. Uh, I'm going to you know, put take him under my wing, and then and then meeting people. My, English Montreal is a pretty small community, and and um, everybody is very it's, a, it's one or two degrees of separation at most. And and I'd introduce I'd be introduced to people that I'd. Um, I'd say my last name and there was always this, this glint of recognition. And, um, and just, I mean, just, the, the, just see, just being constantly reminded of him. It was, it was, uh, it was always, it was always there. And, and, and we moved away for 
my wife and I moved away for 10 years and we came back and, and it was just all still there. And it's kind of the reason why I made this, this podcast. It was just to kind of, you know, flip the script a little bit and, and, and make it so that I wasn't so, um, so sad to, to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like, you know, his, his death, his, his life, I mean, just his, his being has really, um, impacted my outlook on life, but also given me, uh, a lot of people that kind of look out for me, which is, Ooh. which is really nice. Mm-hmm. What, what has the process of, of making the podcast been like? I, I, I mean, it, it, um, I can only imagine that it was a, uh, as an artist that like a, a quite a fulfilling, um, ex- experience, but also how was, how challenging was it in, in terms of like re revisiting and, and sort of uprooting these, these past memories, not only for yourself, but, but even for, um, you know, the subjects that are, that are being interviewed within the show itself. Yeah. I think like initially, um, like, as I said, it was the initial, the seed of, of, I knew when I came back here to Montreal, I I wanted to do something, um, creatively, artistically. And uh, it was initially like a script, and so when I started interviewing people, um, I kind of was able to disassociate myself a little bit from the emotion. I, I, I wore this kind of like journalist hat. I was, I was interviewing subject about what they thought. It was never really about me. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to a, a person, they, every single one cried. And it was, um, it was intense because, but not, not because of the stuff that they were bringing up more because I, you don't, you don't ever want to make somebody cry really, you know? And, um, so, but at the same time, every, every single person literally without exception would write back to me afterwards or say to me afterwards, like, I just feel like so unburdened, so relieved. Like this is such a nice thing to talk about. So, so openly. And so, and it was such detail. Um, so it started becoming like a bit of a, a cathartic experience, for everybody I was interviewing. And that kind of made me feel very good. Um, as I went along in this process and I started speaking with, with my grief counselor, I realized that it was just, it was really just a, an obstacle to me kind of addressing my own, um, my own feelings towards everything and the fact that I never really processed it. So when we turned that corner and the mic was turned on me, um, that became a lot more intense. And that's when I started to cry. Um, mm-hmm which I hadn't done in, in a long time. Um, one of, one of Paul's best friends is a, a filmmaker who, um, who I'm, I'm very close with in, in Toronto. And every year on the anniversary of his death, we'd have these great phone calls and we'd both just be crying. And, and, and then on the 20th anniversary, um, it was the last time I cried really on his anniversary. And like really last time I cried about Paul um, prior to this. And then it was like a good 10 year chunk of just trying to, I don't know. I wasn't confronted with it every day because I wasn't living in Montreal anymore. But then when I got back here, um, yeah. And, and as I said, when I started seeing the grief counselor, it really, it became a lot more um, intense for me personally. I feel like there's something, it, it was something to your question that you had a, a few minutes ago, Jer, about like why it, we're unable to remember. And, and then, and then also kind of speaking to what you just said, Alex, about, it being a like a sort of cathartic experience to hear these people express themselves and and feel like they're unburdened and then that prompting you i mean that that obviously 
that that rings very true, obviously to to us. I know it does with all, all the you know people that we've spoken to and how these heavy conversations, you know, oddly enough, when you finish them, you feel you feel better about having those conversations, yeah. and it's really nice. And I was having a thought while you were asking that question earlier, Jer, about like the way in which the way in which um, when we have like traumatic experiences the the memories from those traumatic experiences and like the images get like seared onto our brains and and that we are you know like like when you said you're talking about the therapist the papers in the air and Mm -hmm. the red light and and these things and you know i I, okay relax buddy (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was hit by a car a couple of years ago. I have like these very, these like handful of like very specific, you know, these very specific images in my brain that like, when I think about that, like that's what I see in my head and I don't see really anything else, even though there's a thousand things that happened that day. And, and I just don't, and I'm, and from like a trauma perspective, it's like, what is, there's obviously there, there I, I feel like there's like a reason for it. Like, a reason in the way that those images that get seared onto your brain are important and we need to like examine them in to- in order to like understand why they're important, but at the same time, time like not let them dominate our lives, like get in the way of us. Um, like not like them. They're not supposed to, I- I'm thinking like they're not supposed to make you not remember the things about your brother. They're, 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 they're almost like there to, for like to examine and to, to realize their, their importance. Like, was that when you started working with your grief counselor and you, and you, you were able to remember those things about your brother that like you really hadn't had access to those memories. Was there like a, was there a component of like, let's start with what we do remember and sort of like sift all that shit out of the way. That's exactly what it was, man. That was, that's exactly yeah. I mean, that's exactly how we started. Um, and, and as I said, just look at, look at that same thing from, from different angles. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not a qualified grief counselor, but in your case, like if you have certain memories from, from when you were hit, I mean, I would just, I was taught in this set in these sessions to just not, not try to like search for other images, but look at that image, but just kind of look at it from a different lens kind of thing. And then that might lead to, new discoveries about in that what happened in that case in in my case that's 100 percent what happened it was like take a look at what you do remember and then just examine it from from every possible angle hi i'm jesse crookshank jesse crookshank i host the number one comedy podcast called phone a friend girl Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. My uh, my therapist uh, uses. We do like a lot of visualization um, mm-hmm. in in my sessions and. And uh, one sort of visualization that we keep coming back to is, is I have this jar full of these memories and the ones that like would contain uh, my trauma 
it's like it's I, I almost visualize them to be like those memories to be imprinted on these pieces of paper. And mm-hmm. the ones that are uh, have the traumas on them are, are, are like really crumpled up papers. And each time I pull that paper out to to look at it and examine that memory, I'm like sort of taking some of the creases out of it. And when I put them back, I can file them away a, a little bit more neat, a, a little neater. That's cool. And so it's a cool way to visualize the sort of progress that I make on those things in, in therapy. But the important thing for me to remember remember is that those pieces of paper are, are might never be fully flat and those those crinkles on them may never really go away but if I can just get them to smoothen out a little bit it makes it easier for me and like to to go to like a real life example like when that trauma is coming up in 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 everyday experiences for me and I'm reacting to a situation in a certain way hopefully I'm able to better sort of process the emotions that are behind that and react in a more rational way to the situation than letting that trauma sort of take over and 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 inform my reactions. So <laughs> yeah, I like think a really cool practice. Yeah, and just and just quickly, I have uh, my therapist has a similar thing just uh, with jugs of water, but it's it's kind <laughs> cool. of the kind of I like the unfolding of the paper. That's that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like for me, I had these kind of very visceral or very, very uh, knee-jerk reactions to seeing police officers um, for, for years after this, mm-hmm. like up until very, very recently. And it was just specifically to, to Montreal police officers. Um, I, I, I lived in LA for a long time and you'd walk down like Hollywood Boulevard and you'd see these like jacked up, juiced up cops, like just beating everybody <laughs> up. And that, that didn't trigger me for some reason. I was like, okay, that's just, that's just LA. Um, but I, I, I came back here and, you know, just, it ju- I just, I just saw red. I just feel the blood pressure going. And, and this process, if anything, has really kind of allowed me to do exactly what you said, just have a different reaction. And, and my therapist just kept on saying, like, it's not happening to you. It's not happening to you. Just, mm-hmm. just, just repeat that, like just seeing them and just, you know, they could be doing something terrible to somebody else and, and report that and, and be a witness to that. Um, and make sure that, that that's known, which is one of the things I really want to get through with this, this podcast is, is that aspect of it, but also just kind of be within yourself kind of mm. thing. And, and just to, just to point this out, uh, because I, I'm not sure if it was actually mentioned or not, but the, you know, where that, where that, that, uh, emotion towards police officers comes from is that your brother was actually struck by a police car that was, that was speeding yeah. past the school on that day. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, again, not to like spoil anything, but the, the title, sorry about the kid. I, I mean, that, that is, um, making the realization of where that title comes from in the first episode is probably one of the most, um, gut wrenching things I think about that first episode. And, yeah. And I, I totally, uh, understand where where you were coming from in in saying that you know you had a really hard time with with seeing police officers and having that be a trigger for you yeah yeah um um i i'm i'm wondering you know in 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 terms of grief and you know looking at looking at what grief meant to you before this project and looking at grief now after having gone through it and and about to or just having released the show um Way to cover the bases there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because really, we have no idea. Uh, um, uh, what, is, what is your relationship to grief now? Has it, has it shifted? And, and, and has your understanding of it changed 
for you? You know, it's still it's still pretty it's still pretty new at this point. Um, I'm still going through it. Like, I, I think this 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 is not the podcast is not um, wrapped up with a nice nice little um, bow on it at the end of it. So it's not like I could be like this is I don't know I don't know what my relationship with grief is right now. Um, I've learned um, over the last thirty years what helps people grieve better, and I think it's. Um, you know, there's a guy in my elementary school whose brother died about um, six months after my brother died, and he reacted in a completely different way. He he didn't. He was super angry. He didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want to talk about his brother. He didn't want to memorialize him in any way. It was it was as if it never happened, and and he was going to move on with his with his life. And I remember thinking that that was just weird and wrong at the time. And and what I've realized over this many years is that there's just no way to grieve properly. You just, everybody grieves the way they grieve and it's right for them. Um, and when they feel it's not working for them, they'll find a different way, hopefully to, to grieve. Um, I would just say that the people around them, it's super important for people not to be afraid of, of grief that, as you said earlier, it's like, everyone's going to grieve at some point in their life. Unfortunately, it's, it's just the way it goes and probably many times over. And I think that anybody who's grieving, the only thing they really want is just to kind of, be comforted, feel love, and um, and to know that that person meant something. That person who died mattered in a way. Mm -hmm. And so, what I've learned really is is just how to help somebody grieving, um, not necessarily to grieve better myself. Mm -hmm. Was that was was your um, was speaking to the grief counselor your your first time speaking to a therapist about this? Uh, no, I uh, when I was. 10 or 11, like soon after, um, uh, my parents and I, and my sister and I went to see a grief counselor as, as a, uh, a family and then individually as well. And both my sister and I, after the individual sessions were like, no, not for us. And it was just the timing wasn't right. That being said, had I gone to see Yvonne, the, the, the woman who I did end up seeing today, I think it would have been a different experience. She specializes in childhood grief. So it was, it was interesting to kind of be uh, in my 40s now and 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 be going through childhood grief sessions Ooh. with her. It was really yeah. interesting. I was going to, I was, that was actually, well, it wasn't the exact question I was going to ask, but it was similar, similar in the, in the sense that I was curious about how, <clears throat> how, how your, your parents wanted or you know tried to um you know get you to like what their what their approach was in terms of you dealing with obviously they're dealing with a lot of trauma and they have to be you know you're their child they have to also be um they have to also look out for how you're you are digesting you know this this massive experience in your life and that's always so interesting especially especially when you're looking back you know decades where the approach to how we deal with everything is, is really different now. Like we recently talked to somebody who, um, when she was, uh, I think like eight or eight or 10, um, uh, found her grandfather who had just, who had just uh, killed himself. And, and the family's reaction to that was like, sweep it under the rug. Don't anybody talk about it. We'll just ignore it. Pretend it didn't happen. And then the ramifications that that ends up having, you know, several, you know, decade, decades later, and just being curious as to what the approach is to a child 
dealing with dealing with that. Um, and it sounds like it sounds like you, that the the sort of like the attempt was made. Like, how did your how did your parents? How did you have that conversation with your parents in terms of saying like I don't want to go to do that? Was it like I don't want to go? And your parents are like, okay, if that's not where you're, if that's yeah. not you don't feel like it's working, then that's then that's that's, that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. My my mom, uh, you know, when I interview, I've they were I sat with my parents individually and together for hours and hours for this, and um, and it's one of the things my mom says is that she felt that both. So I was ten, my sister was sixteen. Uh, when, when it happened almost 17. And um, so we were ourselves, I mean, that's a huge difference. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were at very different stages of our, of our lives. We, we, we remained very close, but just kind of experienced it very differently. And um, my sister took on this kind of caregiving role in a lot of ways. Like my parents, as I said, were very focused on, on the trial and, and just not putting more strain on my mental health than was already there. So when I said, I don't remember the conversation, but I don't, I certainly don't remember any, any pushback. Like, no, you have to go to, to grief counseling. Uh, but my mom uh, in the, one of the interviews said that um, she felt both my sister and I kind of pulling back afterwards. And, and she said, it was just because it was such a sad place to be like our, our house was just a really sad place to be. And so my, my parents were, were, were present, were there and, and, and just nothing but, but love, but they were also focused on, on changing things, changing the law. Like they didn't, you know, some people were like, Oh, sue the police and get, you know, they never, they never went for the money at all. It was just all about changing the law. It was all about making, you know, changing precedent. Um, my sister was really the one who kind of became like a, a very, she became my, my kind of, emotional rock in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but then, yeah, it was, it was just, a, yeah. So they, to answer your question, no, they didn't, they didn't force me to, yeah. to do it's anything a, really. It's always like, so it, it, interesting as well in terms of like, you, you know, you never know when, when something like this happens and you, you know, if you go a little bit early, if you go earlier, to therapy or you go later to therapy. Like it's like, and, and you, and that's a mystery that we'll never solve in terms of like case from an individual basis, you know, like when is the best time mm-hmm. to start? Because obviously there's a, there's an acute period where, you know, nothing's going to work. Like, you know, you don't put a bandaid on somebody who's, who, you know, who, who's got a, you know, a, a six inch, a six inch, you know, cut down their leg. You know, right. there's a, there's an appropriate way to deal with it. Well, one interesting thing though, that I've learned in, or found in, in therapy and even from talking to other friends who go to therapy is that a lot of trauma that we exist is childhood trauma or it mm. sort of or sure. originates in your in your childhood experience and i don't know what the reason is for that but i imagine that you know as it's a time that we're we're, we're developing still and even into our like mid 20s um still learning you know what it means to be a human being on this planet. Um, I imagine that a lot of the formative years of your life, if there's traumatic events that occur, it's probably, you know, definitely has this like lasting impact on how you, how you experience the world. So I imagine that like like talking about speaking to a, a, a childhood grief expert, at 40 years old, I think a lot of us need childhood grief experts, <laughs> um, even as we grow into yeah. our forties and fifties. Did, yeah. did, uh, 
Sorry, go ahead, Alex. Oh, I was just going to say to that to that point, like one of the um, the things that my my counselor um, recommended for 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 boys, especially, um, she she treats a lot of well, she treats boys and girls, but she was saying for boys, she'll often have like a punching bag in their in her office, and she just wants them to just let all the rage out, all the all those anger, all those emotions, just like channel it into 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 anger and 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 physical exertion, and she wants. She wants you to be um, exhausted by the end of it because she finds that at that point, that's when you kind of are the most honest with yourself. And she gave an example of another guy who was uh, where she did something similar where she, I'm not sure. I think she was involved in the study, but this guy um, in Africa, she's, she's from, um, she's from Africa herself. And she, uh, she told me a story about this villager whose um, daughter was, uh, was, was raped and killed. And the, the father was just devastated and distraught and the other people in the village brought him out into the forest and had him cut down this tree with like a dull machete and it just took forever and he was so exhausted and then they made him drag that tree back to his his house or i think it was even a hut um and they and he was just by the end of it he was just weeping he fell down and he was weeping and he was like saying all the things that he was just too he had too many barriers he was he was just finally able to say it all and and they said to him they said anytime you're feeling that you can't express it that you're feeling frustrated go out there and just hack that tree as hard as you can and and come talk to me kind of thing and yeah. i found that really interesting yeah. Yeah. We, we just um we just did uh we just did a a, a movember fundraiser uh through throughout november and you know obviously we had a lot of conversations around mental health and mental health and in, in men specifically and being more vocal and expressing and the benefits that that has on relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, quality of life and everything. Like when you were, when you were exploring this, um, for the podcast and doing your research and, and, you know, obviously, you know, op- opening up the, uh, the history books on, on what happened to your brother and everything like did, did, and maybe this is just like a, the answer to this is a flat no, but did you, did you experience or did, did any like insights reveal themselves at all in terms of like how, um, how, how, how maybe like a boy or a man is, is, um, how they can be affected by, um, not addressing fully, you know, traumatic experiences and like the, you know, the benefits, um, the benefits of expressing yourself and talking to somebody and, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, yes and no kind of thing. It's like, I, I, I wasn't really able to be like, I wasn't able to do anything that was like specific. Like, oh, this worked because I'm a man or this would work if I was a woman. Um, I think that it's, there's, there's definitely been uh, an acceptance by and large, um, to f- a, a change in the acceptance by and large for, for men to express themselves and, and their, the issues they're having uh, within their, their mental health. Um, and I think that's a great thing. Um, I think, for a long time, you know, when I first started thinking about doing something like this, there was a definitely a reluctance. I didn't want to, I kept saying to myself, I don't want to make this like a, a tribute to Paul. I don't want to make this like a slideshow. Like who, who, who gives a shit about that? I mean, that's just like, I, I didn't see what the benefit to this um, would be. And then as, as I went through it, I did start to realize that, well, I mean, just sharing my story, um, could help other people deal with, with grief. And, and that kind of, that kind of um, gave me the fuel to keep going. How are you, uh, how are you feeling about the, the upcoming or just recently release of the, uh, the podcast? <laughs> uh, you mean, know, I, I know, I know when, I know when, 
when when releasing anything as an artist is is kind of a big deal and 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 there's there's always like nerves and stuff but something that's so so in, immensely personal uh, how how are you feeling about that uh, i'm feeling good i'm feeling really good i think uh i mean i was working with this uh this story editor slash producer slash co-writer mira bertwintonic who is just if you're ever going to write a make a podcast and you want to make it really good get a mira bertwintonic um <laughs> it's it's the key to it's the key to everything um and you know we've been working really hard on this for a long time and so it's it's really it's feels really really good to to get it to that point where it seemed like so far off for so long uh to get it to that point that uh we're now going to be releasing it or released it last week or 10 years ago <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> again folks uh yeah. sorry about the kid is the podcast alex mckinnon um this has been such a pleasure to sit down and, and chat with you about the process of creating something so personal and and to to give us a little bit of insight into your own personal um your own personal grief and and how you've been managing that um all episodes are are available as of january 19th uh it's a four-part miniseries i i i've at the time of recording this it is not yet january 19th and i i was um given the the opportunity to listen to the first episode and i i have to say it is well worth the listen and i'm really looking forward to hearing the uh, the next three um alex thanks so much for taking time out of your day today to hang out with us this really did mean a lot thank you guys thanks i really appreciate it that is it for today thank you so much everybody for tuning in if you like what you heard make sure that you share our podcast with your friends we love those extra ears Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.